Hey, how's it over there? Welcome to the new episode of In Focus. I'm your host Han Jin, and I'll be sharing about the latest happening in Southeast Asia. Stay with me as I try to cover a wide range of topics, but not limited to sustainability, ESG, artificial intelligence, and the built environment. Okay, let's start. Hey, what's up guys? I uh, hope you had a great week. So now I'll start off with a bit of updates from Indonesia. Uh, there's a new there's a new Java 9 and 10 coal-fired power plant in, that's being built in Indonesia right now. And this project is being built by a company called, a special purpose vehicle called PT Indo Raya Tegana. And this company basically is shared by the state-owned PT Indonesia Power and the private power company PT Barito Pacific and also a Korean company called uh, the Korea Electric Power Corporation. So uh, the construction of these two generating units and the supporting facilities including a jetty and disposal facilities right uh, they are expected to be completed in December 2024 by a South Korean contractor called Dusan Heavy Industries and Construction together with Indonesian state-owned construction firm PT Hutama Karya. This project managed to secure around $1.9 billion of public financing from South Korea and an additional $2.6 billion in financing from uh, uh, banks from, from Malaysia, banks from South Korea, banks from China and banks from Indonesia. And there are some who say that this Java 9 and 10 coal-fired project, right? They, they say that this massive investment will help to stimulate economic growth at both the national and local level. And news report has actually reported that the, this project is very eagerly uh, being awaited by the local community and national industry player because it was uh, estimated that it can absorb around 10,000 workers. But it seems like those who are living around this project, right, they have a different view of the project's economic impact. So they, they actually cited this person, Kositi, uh, a 30-year-old Suralaya resident. She says that she and her husband lost their livelihood when the construction began. And the new units that are being built on the Kalapa Tuju beach where the couple used to work as vendors selling coconuts and other drinks, right? Uh, so when they had the, they, she says that when they had beaches, uh, basically the family never needed a job, but because the income from selling coconut was high enough. But now it seems like uh, the project has destroyed the beach, and so they have no means of no way, uh, no means of selling all these drinks anymore. So concerns about unemployment among these residents, right? They are common refrain in, in the community around this Java 9 and 10 site. And according to the news, right, right, it's claimed that the locals who are living around the area, including the community leaders, were not allowed to give input during the planning process for the construction of these two units. And they claim that, uh, yeah, maybe it's because uh, co commoners like them, right, uh, they don't know much about the permit process, about the environmental impact and the analysis, which is why they were excluded from the process. But 
even in South Korea, there has also been debate about whether this plant should go forward using South Korean's public money, especially since South Korea now itself is shifting away from using fossil fuel. So activist group in Korea, South Korea, Korea, they actually say that uh, this Jawa 9 and 10 project in Indonesia and some other projects in Vietnam, right? Uh, all these coal-fired power plants that uh, South Korea is investing and building around the world will not exist without South Korea and they are fighting against it in South Korea and they say that this is actually against the global decoupling trend. And due to domestic and international pressure, the South Korean government has officially announced that the country will no longer invest in new coal-fired power plants overseas as of 2020. So what this means is that this makes the Jawa 9 and 10 coal-fired power plant in Indonesia and the Vong Ang 2 in Vietnam, the last uh, two overseas coal energy investment by South Korea. Okay, so over in Philippines, right? Uh, Philippines is known as one of the world's top nickel, copper and gold producer and it seems like the government at the moment wants to boost the state revenue with new mines. So to facilitate this new mining activity, the Philippine president has actually lifted uh, a restriction that was imposed in 2012 that prevented uh, mining from taking place and now what he has done is he has reopened the door to investments in a move that seems, seems to be uh, in favour of improving the state coffers but it seems like environmental, environmental activists they are pretty angry about it. Philippines is the top supplier of nickel ore to China and they are also a major producer of copper and gold and they have imposed this restriction while the government worked on a legislation to boost the state share of mining revenue and since 2018 right, the tax on mineral has doubled to 4% and what the Philippine president has done with his new executive order is that now he allows for new mining deals and and also for the review of existing contract for possible renegotiation. Well, actually, mining is a very highly contagious issue in Philippines after past cases of environmental mismanagement. And what it has done is it has fueled a strong lobby against the industry that was led by local governments, legislators, advocacy group, and even the Catholic Church. So it seems like the government, well, recently they have been uh, in need of funds for infrastructure projects and to help support the pandemic hit economy and which is why the government has now pushed for a revival and sale of idle state mining projects. Okay, so the thinking is that uh, there'll be a need for a lot of raw materials like nickel, gold, uh, copper, magnesium and what they hope that this executive order will do right is to help to bring Philippines back on the investment map. In fact, uh, Philippines actually became the biggest supplier of nickel ore to top metal consumer, uh, which is China, in 2020 after Indonesia banned exports of unprocessed ore. Okay, so that's it from Philippines and Indonesia. Let's go for a short commercial break and I'll be back in a while. Okay, so now I'll give a bit of updates from Vietnam. Uh, from this, uh, there's something happening in this uh, Mekong Delta province of Baek Liu. So what this 
province intend to do is they want to expand super intensive stream farming because they think that it is sustainable and it offers high production value. So uh, this Baekliu province right, is actually one of the country's leading areas where stream is bred with advanced technique and they, it has uh, more than 25,000 hectares of super intensive and intensive stream farming area. So 25,000 hectares is roughly about uh, 35,000, is equivalent to 35,000 soccer field just to put things into context. So uh, this super intensive stream farming, it uses stream breeding ponds with oxy oxygenation uh, facilities and anti-sunlight nets and plastic sheets on the bed. In addition to that, right, the province has also established a 400 hectare high-tech agriculture zone for stream development. So about 90% of the construction of this high-tech agriculture zone has been completed and more than 30 companies have registered to invest in the zone. This zone will also produce stream fry and stream food to serve the demand and stream fry producer now produce about roughly about 35 to 35 billion fry of white lake stream and black tiger stream per year. But it seems like this agriculture production actually faced some challenges last year because of drought, uh, saltwater intrusion and also plus the COVID-19 pandemic and its output and you rose after but the output and the you rose after the province took some preventive measures and set up some proper breeding schedules. This province have exported more than a stunning 800 million of seafood last year and what it wants is it wants to target to harvest uh, 400,000 tons of aquatic products from agriculture, aquaculture and catches this year uh, which is targeting to be 3.6% against last year. And with a coastline of more than 56 km, this Baekliu province has really high potential for stream cultivation, especially uh, brackish water stream. And this province has more than 130,000 hectares of stream cultivation area. So in order to produce better, better aquaculture production, right, the province has invested in infrastructure for stream cultivation so that they can properly regulate the water resources for stream cultivation and also strictly managing the input material and stream fry for stream cultivation. And they also stated that uh, salt water intrusion in the ongoing dry season can also occur in the canals and pond. So all these stream breeders, right, they are using super intensive and intensive farming models uh, in order to store fresh water in the ponds and to mix the fresh water with saline water in the canal that they'll be used for breeding streams. So uh, because we, we touch on seafood from Vietnam, so this episode I decided to touch on seafood from Cambodia as well. So uh, it's reported that fish is actually an important source of diet for poor rural people in Cambodia and it accounts for about 61% of all households animal protein intake and about 98% of the floodplain residents, right, they actually participate in fishing activities. So in order to improve the inland fish production, uh, USAID actually implemented a project that actually uses climate risk analysis to inform strategies to in, in order to secure nutritious fish for these households. 
so fish they actually migrate from the rice field fisheries to the community fish refuge during the dry season when the water level recedes then at the start of the rainy season these fishes right they actually migrate back to the fish field fisheries and other connected bodies of water such as canal and stream uh, where fishing is permitted and all these wild fish from this rice field system they are free for anyone to catch and it makes them a particularly valuable protein source for the poor household so uh, when you have all this well-managed fish refuge it will lead to a 71% it's said, reported to be able to lead to a 71% increase in fish catch by the poor, poorest household during the project's first phase and through proper implementation and effective management of this community fish refuge it's supposed to help to strengthen the food and nutrition security for the local residents who are living around those areas so this project they have actually analyzed climate stresses which includes a shortened rainy season prolonged drought and this contribute to like extremely harmfully low water level in the community fish refuge and this will hinder fish productivity and migration to the rice field fisheries and the project has also found that during this extreme heat during the dry season right when community fish refuge level are naturally lower this can also lead to water temperature increases and additional water loss from evaporation and all of this threaten the fish survival and some some species of fertility so what this uh, project has done is they have analyzed the stresses and they have also developed strategies to address these climate stresses, reducing the negative impact on the community fish refuge habitat and also the fish population in the connected rice field fisheries. So some examples of the solutions include studying of historical drought data and local water use practices before selecting construction project location and also the clearing and widening of canals that connect community fish refuge to natural water bodies and rice field fisheries. They have also used things like uh, the use of climate forecasts to schedule community fish refuge construction and maintenance activities around extreme and seasonal weather events. So for example, during the rainy season floods, right, uh, this project implementers, they actually pause the construction to help reduce runoff and water quality impacts. Another solution is uh, they actually do tree planting along the banks to protect the community fish refuge from flood damage and also to provide shade to reduce evaporation and to keep the water temperature cooler for fish production. Uh, the project has also developed some rules for the commu community who are living around all these, uh, these areas uh, to set some rules on how they should share their water and how they should use it and how they should install water level gauges. Last but not the least, they are also promoting sustainable and climate smart agricultural practices and water and soil conservation measures to avoid over intensification of these natural resources. It was reported that this project contributed to nearly uh, 150,000 Cambodians consuming more fish at home in 2020 than compared to the previous year. So that's it for my updates from Southeast Asia. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!
Hey people, thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe to my channel. And also, please like, rate or comment on my podcast to let me know what else you'd like to hear. As usual, stay safe and healthy and see you in the next episode. Bye people!